Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. And I am Keith Foster, the writer of Animals, Three Protectors, and Kadoja. And you created them as well. Look at you. I created them. I f- Look at me. Look at you. You're doing multiple things. <laughs> look, at all, look at all these things. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Little old me over here doing all well, these just, things. I, I just, I, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. You know what else you're doing, buddy? You're about to have a beer. What? I am about to have a beer. Now, what I beer got, would that be? So I got a little story for this beer because I like I like stories with my beers that you you listeners know that. So I, I I have another beer that I'll probably talk about. I'll save it for next week's podcast. But I'm in uh, High Time Wine, which is uh, this one off um, this one off beer store in Costa Mesa, California. I was down there for something yesterday. I have to go every time, right? So I, I go in. I don't see that many beers which intrigue me. But then I see on the floor, they have Pliny the Elder, the legendary smooth drinking double IPA from Russian River. And it says limit two. And I'm like, well, I'm getting two. Any time they're limiting what I'm getting, it's a good idea for me to get that number. Right. So so I get the two. You know, next to it. Before you go. It, it's like the little tactic I do at the conventions when uh, I'm I'm selling those metal prints, right? And mm-hmm. then I go, just so you know, I only have two left. Mm. Because anyone, some, anytime someone hears there's a limited supply, yeah. they must have it. Yes. They must. Totally. No, you make a good point. You make a good point. So so I'm there and I get those because I've had Pliny before. One, one of my standard rules about Pliny the Elder is when you see it, buy it. It's it's the kind of beer that is I, I don't think you're ever gonna steer yourself wrong by getting it. Because it's not so frequent that you're gonna find yourself with ten Pliny the Elders in your fridge. It's just they are it isn't that common, you know. So the lakefront tap room in uh, Lake Arrowhead, every now and then they'll have have Pliny, I'll get it every time. And here I just grab the two. But next to it, Scott, was another beer I'd never heard of. And it also said limit two. And it said Heady Topper uh, from the Alchemist Vermont, an 8% ABV, either pale ale or double or, or something like that IPA. So I was like, I don't know what the hell this beer is, but they're limiting it to two of that. So I'm going to get those two. So I am trying it right now. I actually, I was curious, like, what's, is there a, is there a hubbub on this? That's always good to know, right? So I looked on Untapped, which is, you know, for, for listeners that may not know, it's basically the Yelp for beers. Okay. So there, as with anything, certain things are going to skew higher and lower. Like things like lagers skew lower because the kind of person that's on Untapped may not get the same amount of joy from a lager. Uh, because they want a double IPA or a, a, a cherry sour aged in Tibetan monk bourbon barrels or something like that, right? <laughs> like they want Tibetan monk tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they want you know they they they're there for that kind of stuff. But what was interesting is that Pliny the Elder is rated four point five zero on Untapped. This is rated four point five three. So well, out of five, I'm taking it. Out of five, we okay. are in Pliny territory right now. So I will let you know when we get to the end of the can. What are you right doing? on Pliny the Elder? Is is that the is that the brand of it, or that's the type of beer it is? 
Oh, sorry. So so Pliny the Elder is the name of the beer. It is a double IPA from oh, okay. Russian River Brewing, which is a Northern California brewing company. Oh, okay, okay. You yeah, might have said fun, that fun and I just fact missed too. it. Yeah, no, no. Fun fun fact too is that Pliny the, Pliny the Elder is the one that's bottled. There is another beer called Pliny the Younger, hmm. which is tap rooms only. People line up around the block when they find out this thing's coming out. I've never tasted it because you have to do crazy things like get in a 100 person line or pay $5 for a lottery ticket. And if you win, they pour you a six ounce taster of it. Wow. Um, I've had a one of my buddies drank it and he said, it's fine. Like it's not the the hype is not warranted. I see. But we we know how people are with hype, man. You know, you hype up something. I, I love limited stuff. You just talked about it limited in air quotes, right? So um so there's something to that. But Pliny the Younger is the one that everybody loses their mind for. But Pliny the Elder, much more available and really damn good. Right on, man. Yeah, that's I'm I'm looking forward to uh the review of this one that you're drinking today. Uh I myself forgot to restock the fridge. So <laughs> I I did have uh plenty of Harlan Japanese lagers. And plenty of Harlan hazy IPAs because of that Costco deal that I told you about. uh, I told you and Gary about. I actually went back there. I I found a restock of it. I think it was at our Costco, and they usually didn't have that that box selection. And um, it had a star next to it. So if you guys are familiar with Costco, if the item has a star next to it, that means they are not replenishing that item. So that Mm. means that pack is going away, unfortunately, but that made me go, well, then I'm buying two packs of this. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're 12 packs, they're 20 bucks. Um, it's a really great deal for Harland. And, um, yeah, so I have plenty of those stocked in my fridge at all times, but I did have extra beers that I got from Trader Joe's that were just in the cabinet because space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to restock those once we went through some. And, um, you know, at San Diego Comic-Con, I went through quite a few of my beers in the fridge and didn't restock them. So um, I am going to have to settle with High Noon uh, Sun Sips Vodka and Soda. Uh, today is Grapefruit. So I don't think I've ever had High Noons on here before. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. I know, I know I've had a couple of different seltzers on here. I know I've had Ashland, and I know I've had... I'm pretty sure I've had White Claw. I'm not sure about High Noons. Um, but if I have, hey, it's a repeat. Um, spoiler alert, these things are delicious. Like, yeah. it's hot here <laughs> in San Diego, and they're just freaking delicious. But I know I haven't had them on the pod, uh, or yeah. I think I haven't. So mm-hmm. at the end, I at least want to give it a rating. So for those of you that haven't had it, um, you can get an idea of what I think of these, and maybe it might be something you might be interested in. So um, yeah. with the booze talk out of the way, what was the first thing for the week, my friend? Mm, mm. So I have two more meandering things to talk about and then one pretty short thing. So let's start with one of the meandering things. So where I believe we had left off is that I had written scene one of issue two of the time travel comic from the new POV. I think that's where we left off last week. I had done the uh, outline and then written the first scene and felt pretty good about it. So... We were talking about switching things up last week, and I believe we were talking about it in the context of what the novel, if I remember right, and and something else. But I, I don't think the time travel comic was one of the something else's. I hope not. But um, but anyway, I, I continued to switch it up. And the way that I switched it up was I just had this vibe that to write the second scene, I wanted to write it in my notebook, in my moleskin journal. 
So that's what I did. I just sat down, wrote, wrote quote unquote the scene. Um, like we've discussed before, I kind of have the what's what's my version of the of Slack? I think it's Craw or something like that, or it's a you know I can't even remember the acronym now, but it's basically you know write write the gnarly thing um, or or write the thing that the scene needs to hang on first, and so that's what I'm doing. That the scene the scene two was a very dialogue heavy scene, so the important thing to write is the dialogue. You can fill in the action around the dialogue later. It needs to mean something. But you can fill it in later. So, I, I I just sat down with the with the journal and went ahead and wrote freehand in in the journal, and it felt great. It was a it was a great way to switch it up, and to and to get that scene going. Um, so I continued with that strategy in that whatever I felt like doing any given day was the way I wrote it. So. For the for the second scene, I wrote it in a journal, and then the next day ended up kind of typing it in to the script in Word, and surrounding it with all of the the panel descriptions and, and scene direction. For the next couple scenes, I just did whatever I wanted. So one morning I woke up and wrote in the journal. Uh, the next morning, I think I woke up and made notes in Evernote for it, and just wrote it out the best I could. So I'm currently to page. I think I'm to page 17 as of this morning. So I wrote 14 more pages in in second issue, even though it's not full, full pages. So it's probably about 11 pages worth, but it's 14 pages of story. So I still need to go back and type them in. And in one, maybe two of the scenes to one and a half of the scenes cases, I need to fill in the thing I didn't do. A little bit of panel description here, maybe a little bit of scene um, of dialogue there, a little bit of Monica, perhaps. Um, we're not sure, but but uh, you know whatever whatever I need to do to get to Mambo number five is the thing that I'm going to do, right? So a little bit of work still ahead of me, but I'm optimistic that the next time we record, I will have the script to issue two done. So that would be lovely. I mean, the heat is still here. I'm having fun with it, and uh, right now I'm kind of getting ideas on just going going ahead and writing the third issue right on the heels of the second issue. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, man. Um, I bet you anything that will be done by the next time we talk for sure, um, especially with you saying like, what was it, uh, 14 pages, 11 worth of dialogue or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. More or less, right? 11, 11 full and then fragments of the other three, let's say. Like yeah. if you can fill out, fill out the scenes. Like if you know what the scenes are, it's it's mm-hmm. once you have the scenes there, it's easier to write. I think, like in my opinion, like the very limited amount of writing that I have uh, done, it's like uh, when I do the Marvel method with myself. Like I'm drawing it out, but I'm also going like I know roughly what they're saying here. I know what mm-hmm. the interaction is. I know what the vibe vibe is. I know the energy of the characters. So you can kind of just move on from it. Okay, what's the next scene? And then once you mm-hmm. kind of have that figured out, it when you have it blocked out, it makes it a lot easier to just move along. You know what I mean? Like at least yeah. that that's my my experience at least. So uh, very Absolutely. cool. Yeah. One one other note to it too. Uh, one of the the scene that I wrote today in particular, we're we're gonna see. I'm actually gonna end up going toe to toe with Mike. I think on this one scene. Because you you work with Mike, and of course I work with Mike, and one of Mike's big rules, big rules, is no talking heads. No talking heads. He doesn't he doesn't like talking heads scenes. I you and I 
are a little more fluid thinking, I think, on that stance. And when I when I think of scenes that are sort of talking head scenes and that work, I'm going from memory here, but I'm pretty sure that The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen both have little chunks of scenes where it's talking heads. Oh, I'm sure. I think in in Dark Knight Returns, I think Frank Miller does some pages where it's maybe news footage or going back and forth, and it's just a talking head on the news or a talking head in person, and interesting shit is happening. So for this one scene... I am I am strong that there will at least be a page or two of the four pages where I want it to be talking heads. I want it to be the lead character with different expressions as they're saying different things in response to what people are saying. Because, God damn it, that's the point of this scene, right? right. So I'll, I'll probably have to put like a paragraph length note to Mike when I deliver this script. Like, I feel very strongly about some of the stuff being talking heads and and talk me, you know. Prove me wrong. Right. <laughs> so what's so the, we'll see. What's the other solution? If not exactly. This, right? if, if you've got a better solution, then I'd love to hear it. But I'm walking into this feeling really strong about the talking head vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird uh, where people take hard stances and it's just like, this is just how you feel about it. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a rule, you know, mm-hmm. or a guideline. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just something he sticks on. So I get mm-hmm. it. And look, well, in, in fairness, that rule has elevated at least four of my scenes across different comics over the years. So, um, but I do think that like any any self-imposed creative rule like we're talking about, I think there are times when you can dare to say this is just a guideline that we've put in place and it's time to break that guideline. So yeah. we'll see where it goes. Right on, man. Yeah, that sounds good. Um yeah. The big news, the uh, I finished Paradise Hills, all the art for Paradise Hills. Yeah. Yeah, man. It is done. Wait a minute. Hey, didn't I do this when we finished a beer Christmas time? Let's do it again. I got my Liberty Bell right here. Yeah. Let's ring that bad boy because you, you finished, which is wonderful. Yes. Every time you ring a bell, an artist finishes a story. Um, <laughs> and that artist today is me. So, yeah, uh, Paradise Hills is done. Thank goodness. It's been a travel. It's been a journey. I think it's three months past the original due date, but that was, uh, you know, not including the Kickstarter and uh, other things, you know, uh, artist block. So, yeah, um, (laughs) it is done, and I feel good about it. I'm actually happy with the speed that I finished the second half of the story. Um, the first half was a little bit of a slog. It was, it was like really pushing through a lot of these scenes, a lot of these pages, and just trying to figure out um, the story itself, like how I was going to actually do it. You know, when it was in my mm-hmm. head, it was one thing. And I think it was you, we were just talking about this, where um, it was like a quote from an artist, something along the lines that, I've been doing this for X amount of years, and the pictures that I draw are never what I see in my head. So yeah, I'm Jim constantly there. You go. Yeah. So I'm constantly striving to get to the picture in my head, and mm-hmm. that was the beginning of the story. I really, I was really unhappy when I first started drawing it. I was just like, this isn't coming out the way that I thought it would. Like I had a very clear vision of what this book was, and by the second half, it was there. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, not everything is 100% like my head, but this story is pretty close. Like, I was pretty mm-hmm. happy with a lot of the pages that I did. Um, so, overall, really happy with the product. I've had Ed read the first draft of it and my girlfriend read the first half uh, or the first draft of it. 
and mm-hmm. um, positive or reviews. the first half of the first draft uh both so it is sorry you can't i'm sorry you can't read the second half of the first draft <laughs> yes that's right that's private yeah no one gets to read it um <laughs> So yeah, it's like, it's like it's like it's like uh, what's it called? It's like once upon a time in Shaolin, like like one person's going to be able to read it for one million dollars. Right, that's it. <laughs> anyway, watch sorry, for the Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, coming soon. Yeah, so uh, they both read the first draft, and Ed had very minor notes, one note literally, like one adjustment, and that was it. And um, he liked the dialogue. He he thought it worked really well for a uh, kid telling the story, basically. And Danielle liked it as well. She said, yeah, it was a quick a quick read. Um, real fun. Like, your other stories are a little bit heavier, a little more dense. So um, this one was, like, a breezy read and, and fun. So that was nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I plan on shooting it yours and Gary's way as well. Um, mm-hmm. I already did the adjustments. and uh, But I am going to wait for some of the colors to come in before I shoot it your guys' way. And that will be more of a... Hey, check this out before I approve the PDF and send it off to the printer type thing. You know, sure, sure. I hear so, you. I hear yeah, you. really, no, really I mean, happy that, with that. That's great. That it, it's great that you're done. It's great that you have immediately just like bank turned off of being done into getting some feedback on it, which is awesome. You know, yeah. so oh, I, got, yeah. I kind of fucked up too because that was actually my first two things. So the first thing was the art. Yeah. So the first thing was the art, and then the second thing was uh, I actually lettered. The whole thing, like uh, in the matter of two days. So, so yeah, the lettering yeah. aspect of it's done as well. No, that's that's okay. That's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Um, all right. Well, so let me let me go into my second thing, which is uh, you have three things. Well, you just did two of them. One thing. One thing now. <laughs> one thing. One thing. Okay. This. <laughs> check me out. Okay. So I will. I'll do my second thing. I have a third thing as well. Would you Would you like to guess the second thing? I'm going to give you one guess on the second thing, Scott. What did I actually do this week? What's the thing I did this week? What did you do? This is fun. It's America's favorite game show. Let's see. You already did this. I'll script. give you a hint if you want. Okay. I'll take the hint. What what thing that you've asked me about? You finally ordered week? volume two of Kadoja. <laughs> I ordered volume two of Kadoja, Scott. Hell yeah. I did. I did. Uh I I was I was I was looking at my show calendar, like we mentioned, I think last week or the week before, um, I have a table at the Colorado Festival of Horror, September 15th through the 17th. And I was like, fucking A, I actually have to order volume two now. So I bit the bullet and I went ahead and placed that order uh, for a reasonable amount of copies. You know, we, we've talked about this before. There is this degree of calibration that I'm doing with volume two because post COVID show sales have shown me that volume one constitutes, I mean like, like two thirds of my trade sales or maybe even a higher number. So many people start out with volume one and try volume one that I know that's the one I need to keep stocked deep, you know, but but volume two, volume three, and volume four, when they come out, I'm not sure how many I'm going to need. I mean, volume three is starting to dwindle down there in terms of print run, too. But um, it's all going to be this calibration that where at some point I'm going to have all four volumes, and maybe I ride ride with those for a year or so until it's time to 
really think about an end date for that and just move to a Kadoja Omnibus. I mean, we're still talking years from now when I'll go to the Kadoja Omnibus, but for now, I'm going to sell what I have, and as a result, I need to just keep on restocking and going from there. So yeah, as of right now, because I just approved the proof uh, about six hours ago, as of right now, those copies are going to show up on my doorstep the day before I leave for Denver. Oh, so. God. I uh, I know. Remember this this happened before. I yeah, was I was animals. hoping that animals was going to show up. So this is a very very delicate dance that I'm doing. But that's how long lead times are. Like Scott, you you see your calendar right now. Like these books are going to be here September 14th. That is what the lead time on getting a book from the printer is these days. It is crazy, right? So I'm hoping they beat that time and we don't even have to deal with this because the lead times have gotten even longer, but we'll see what happens when we get there. But at least I've got it. And now I'm going to have to order all those, you know, this was the big money thing, but now there's the other stuff that I need to order too. So I'm soon I'm going to be placing orders for cassette tapes so I can continue to have cassettes at shows. I'm going to restock the metal trading cards and things like that and probably look at a few other things as well just to make sure I have them all so that I can have an awesome show in Colorado. Yeah, man, that's how come I was like, dude, you got to order this because I was worried about something similar to happening to what happened to you with animals. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get it the day before the show and then it doesn't happen. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it, it would suck if you don't get like, the book show up the day you've already left. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, fuck, that's two shows in a row. And um, Vegas, or uh, not Vegas, Arizona, basically mm-hmm. ran out of two. And people were like, eh, I'll, I'll just wait for number two. So it's kind of like yeah. you're losing money there, too. Yep. So, um, yeah. But I'm glad you finally ordered them. Get that monkey off your back. You're not going to have to worry about it for like a year or so, like you said, after you get them exactly. in. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, it's a good problem to have, but it's always a pain in the ass. Like I was like, as you were talking, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I do stay on top of this stuff. So it really doesn't, that type of thing doesn't really happen to me, but I was on top of it. I chose not to order it. You know, like there's a difference between being blindsided and choosing not to order it. So I will lay in the bed I made, but it was a choice. It wasn't, it wasn't a blindside thing that I was like, Oh no. Yeah. 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 Um, well, a little bit because you were like, I don't have any shows for a while. And True. then, and True. then you the sh- got the show this. popping up. Yes. So a little You're blind right. side there. Um, yeah. Hey, but, I got, I got the issues. If anybody wants them, if the damn trades don't show up in time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about something while you were talking was, I was like, I don't really have to worry about this type of thing for a while because volume one is very plentiful. Um, like I stated previously on the pod, I got, when I got it, I did a Kickstarter for them. I ordered a thousand. It was cheaper uh, mm-hmm. per unit to get them at a thousand uh, a thousand units for X amount of dollars. But let me tell yeah. you, it was a great rate. Um, mm-hmm. The more you order, the cheaper the unit prices. And so I don't get to see that return really on volume two because mm-hmm. I'm ordering um, 25, 50 at a time. So mm-hmm. I'm not getting any kind of discount on those. And yeah. so, but like, you know, what I'm paying and, and what I'm selling them for, there's still a profit there. It's a reasonable profit. It's nothing to be upset over. I would say it's the equivalent of selling 
all five of those issues in singles and the profit margin between a singles issue price and, and what I'm getting there. So yeah. it's just like no harm, no foul. It's not a big deal. And then like my business model, pretty much everything that we do at shows, it's like, okay, well, I use that that they go towards books. It's, it, it's all feeding itself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and you do something very similar because you use that money to pay your artists. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm, I was thinking like, man, it's going to all change up once that third volume comes in. And, we, and we've talked about this before. It's like, I'm in this nice spot of two volumes. And then what about when I do go to a hardcover? What if I do, um, my uh not quite omnibus but like an ultimate edition which would collect 12 issues like i Mm -hmm. like that size i find i find a giant edition very daunting and i i don't Mm -hmm. find that it's a good reading experience myself personally yeah so i like the smaller books about 12 issues uh, is is a good size and um so it's just kind of like okay like at that price point i think i can afford to sell 12 issues at 40 bucks you know, depending mm-hmm. how many books I get printed and what the printing cost is and this and that. So I feel yeah. like 12 issues at 40 is very reasonable as far as indies go for a hardcover. Um, mm-hmm. But again, this is all stuff that's in the future. This isn't going to go on right now. I want to focus on getting that third trade out, which means, you know, drawing these issues as fast as possible. And uh, yeah, so anyway, just thinking about that stuff while you were talking about what what's going no, on. No, I think you. I think it's good stuff to think about because as you were talking you really put an idea in my head for the first time, which is I've been so in love with the idea of an omnibus. Maybe, maybe that's not the best call. I mean, if you have an omnibus for the entire story, that's going to be anywhere between 60. Let, let's just assume it's the same price as the four trades, right? That I'll retail it for $65, $70, something like that when it's all said and done. Well, if you have the option of having the omnibus or four trades total that, the 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 down, you know, the upside of the omnibus is it's cool. It's the whole story. Cool in as one. hell. Cool as shit, right? The downside is what if someone is mildly interested in the story, but not $70 interested in the story? What if they're $15 interested in the story? There's nothing wrong with that, right? So That'll be the kind of thing I think about, you know, years from now, to your point, this is way out in the future because once volume four exists, I'm at least going to let that ride for a year to have all the volumes. So maybe I make the decision then, or maybe again, we're just spitballing here. Maybe I just do a one-time run of the omnibus and then it's there if people want it, right. maybe I can keep both in stock, you know? So, um, so anyway, that's something to play with in the future and something to consider. And I, and you know, this kind of conversation, on one hand, it's very like logistics, but I also think it's a great conversation for the listeners to to be a fly on the wall for as we're going through it here, right? Like for us to tell you the kind of stuff we're thinking, because you're going to have these bridges ahead of you in the future, you know, and, and bringing it back to that, it's not just the bridge of how to present your material in volumes, in price points that all customers can love. But it's also what Scott was talking about, like, and what we're talking about when it comes to, like, print runs. You know, like, you're going to have choices to make when it comes to your print run. If you want to print up a ton because you think you're going to move a ton over an X year period, whatever you want, then you can get, the more you get, the cheaper they get. So it's always going to be this calibration of, like, what price do you want to buy them at versus how much inventory do you want to stock? And... 
I'm, I probably mentioned this before when I, when I got my, when I did the first issue ever of Kadoja, we had a big old run. We, we paid for a nice print run, very cheap per copy. I am thrilled to say that we sold through all of them. What was but the total? I think it was 2000. I think we bought 2000 copies of right issue on. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're out there somewhere, but, but it was ambitious to, to get that going, you know, and to have that happen. So, you know, ever since then, it's been smaller amounts and, and things like that. I mean, you know, when diamond orders, big quantities that gives you license to print up big quantities, plus some extra for yourself, which is always nice. But anyway, so it, it's a calibration you, the creator, are always going to have to deal with on this trade-off between cost and inventory. Because right. they can get really cheap if you buy a ton, but you got to store a ton, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to stare at them for probably years in your garage and get mad at them. You will, right. you will get mad at them. There will be a period in your life where you are mad at those copies looking back at you. So Especially that's the kind of trade-off you have to do. Especially if they're not bulletproof, you know? It's just like, uh, Kirkman, he, he says he has a ton of Battle Pope in his garage. There's just mm-hmm. tons of copies of Battle Pope in his garage. It's like, dude, you're Robert Kirkman. I bet you if you said, hey, I'm putting these up on the site or whatever, they would go. But, you know, like, even yeah. he had to deal with something like that. And, um, you know, for me, for the first trade, it was like, they gave me the price points. I was like, let me know how much it costs for 250 Let me know how much mm-hmm. it costs for 500 and a 1000 yep. And yep. the price difference from five hundred to a thousand, I believe at that time was somewhere around three hundred and fifty dollars. Not a lot. Oh, not yeah. not a big difference. So yeah. it's a no brainer. It's like, well, for three hundred and fifty more I get a, I get five hundred more, more. Right. Yeah. So um and then they had a um a little bit of an extensive print run, I think like maybe a hundred to hundred and fifty more books, and I bought those mm-hmm. two. You know? Oh like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they yeah they overran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the overrun. So it, it was like, well, yeah, that just makes sense to do. But you know, you get to the point where you're like, fuck, it's been some time, and I still probably have about five hundred of those because I only do yeah. so many shows a year. I don't do a ton of shows, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just like, man, these things are they're sitting in my sister's garage and like her, she has like a storage rack on the roof of her garage, which I help pay for. She's like, Hey, if you pay for half of this, you can use half of it. I'm like, here, here is money. I yeah. need, I need to Done. not store these. So Done. here's yeah. my second shift volume ones. Yeah, Dude, exactly. there's so many of them. And then, like I said, like for me, they're not bulletproof. It's just like, God, I just look at them and I just see all these errors and it's just, mm-hmm. they kill me. Like as an artist, I'm like, God, like I could have done so much better. And like, there's this problem and that problem. Like, again, there's a lot of it that I like, but there's a lot of it that I don't. And so to have that many volumes staring you in the face, it makes you go like, geez, Louise, like that was a lot. That was a lot. I mean, I think at the end end of the day, it was the right decision because it's like it was number one, it was paid for by the Kickstarter backers. So it's just it wasn't one cent of my of my money. Um and two, it's just like, well, I can constantly sell these and, and whatever. And, and like, I could use, I could bargain them down price wise. I could do a bundle pack deal, et cetera. Right. Anyway. Um, but this also applies to single issues. Like you were talking about the difference between having, okay, the trades and the omnibus. Well, maybe I can keep them both in stock. Well, that's more space. And that's also like what I was going through with the single issues. It's like, well, I really like having a lot of single issues at the table because people go, wow, these 
this series has been going on for a long time. How many issues do you have? You know, and it kind, it's kind of a conf, uh, conversation starter. And, but that was me also wrestling with the old school comic fan in me who likes single issues. It's like, well, should I still have single issues at the table? No, no, no. Let's move away from them. Everyone's had their chance. You know, maybe they've just discovered the series, but hey, it's been going a while and maybe I'll keep one to two runs at the table or something or behind the table. But beyond that, I don't think I'm going to do it. You know, I think I have one set of singles left and once that's gone, it's gone. I'm not going to reprint it. It just doesn't make any sense. So it's all about the battle of how much you're going to print of each book and, you know, how long you want to keep it in print when you switch to trade paperback and then trade paperback to hardcover. So um, absolutely. No, as, as a, as a, you know, the music side of me, and, and on some level, the comic side of me, too, something I delight in is selling out of something and just having it be gone forever. I did. And, and I, I, I've mentioned this, I think, before on the podcast, right? Like, I, I love, like, if someone out there wants to be a completist of all the stuff I have done, comic-wise... There's a lot of stuff out there. There are some, like, limited edition variant covers out there that are very hard to track down. With music, it's even harder because there are some really limited edition things of some music I've done under uh, my band has done Big Pimp Jones under aliases and things like that. Like I love making things that can just sell out and give people joy. And so uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's my attitude toward the singles, too. You know, I mean, look, once every three conventions, someone will say, do you have singles of, of volume one? I'm sorry, man, I sold out of those years ago. And I know that I missed a sale in the moment because most times they just walk away. But it was it was sold out years ago. You know, the the alternate the alternative is to just keep on keeping these things in print. It's like, ah, what's what's the value in that? You know, you got to keep yeah. moving on. Give people joy. You know, like we're comic collectors. And as a collector, what do we love? Buying something that sells out, buying something that appreciates in value. So I love giving other people that joy with the property that that I do. I remember the last copy I had of issue one. Um, a guy came up to the table and told them the whole spew and everything like that. And he goes, do you have any issue ones left? Do you have, uh, like, because I want to get the whole set. And he's like, I, I'm a single issue collector. And I was like, I actually have one copy left. And he goes, how much is that? And I'm like, it's the last one, 20 bucks. $10,000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and your kidney. Um, yeah. And he, he bought it. He was just like, yeah, I'll take it. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. right on, cool. You know, yeah. like if then I you knew, print it up more, charge them twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I coughed in the middle of that. Uh, twenty five dollars, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and that's actually something I discovered um, recently. You know, just at at the last convention, I had mentioned that one of my studio mates mentioned that we should move the 2018 and 19 editions up to 15 bucks because we have such a limited amount of them. And it's just like, yeah, that's just really the smart thing to do once you get on the lower end. And mm-hmm. um, to uh, like you said, I concur. I love selling out of things. I like things just becoming gone. It's like, yeah, this no longer exists in that form. You know, like everyone had their chance to get it. And, and you know, maybe you didn't know about it, but uh, hey, it was here. Now it's not here. And but here's the trades. And most people prefer trades. So like you said, one in every three shows, you get that single issue collector. It doesn't happen very often these days. It's usually people looking for trade paperbacks. It's a preferred reading method these days. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that was actually a, a, a nice conversation off of my second thing. So that means you have one more thing. 
Well, um, I was informed by one of my buddies that there is an opportunity for a possible job with a high-profile client. So he gave me the inside scoop on this, and he goes, hey, look, I had this discussion with this person, and um, just so you know, they're looking for this. So if you can come up with something, you know, just so you know, you might be in the running, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, oh, shit. I was like, okay. So I have the inside scoop on this thing. Um, now that I'm finished with Paradise Hills, I actually tried to do it as soon as I finished the pencils in inks um, for the story. I was like, okay, the art's done on this. Let me try to jump into this this possible job. And I was trying to lay stuff out, and it just wasn't working. I was like, I, it's not working. I can't figure this out. For some reason, it's not flowing correctly. And I think my my brain will not let me start a new job without finishing another job. So the previous job. So I still had lettering to do and the flatting was already getting taken care of. That was not my job. So, but what was my job was the lettering. So I did a couple of layouts, didn't work out. I put it down. I was like, all right, about to hop on the computer. Let me do this. I have to do the lettering until I do the lettering. I will not be able to work on this. And it's just like, time sensitive. So that kind of led me to knocking out the lettering in two days. You know, it was just like, all right, do this as fast as possible. Get this out of the way. Make sure everything's good. You know, make sure you're doing this. Do it in the best possible way, but do it in the fastest way possible. So mm -hmm. I knocked out the lettering really quickly. Um, you know, like I said, I've already gotten it proofread a couple of times. So just making sure I'm finishing that previous job before starting a new job because my brain just won't let me do it. It's just not a thing my brain likes to do. It's just like, no, no, yeah. your work is not done. Yeah. Well, that, that's, hey, that's good. That's good. I mean, you know you. And knowing yourself as a creator, knowing, knowing yourself me as a person. Is to love me. <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> you know, like we, we all know that. But, but knowing yourself as a creator is so important. What what time of the day do you do your best work? Is there a time of the day you do your best work? Um, you know, how, how do you finish projects? How do you approach a page? How do you approach a page of script? Whatever it's going to be, right? So it's good that you knew yourself well enough and, and that you were able to work accordingly and, and get that knocked out. So very cool, very cool. Um, all right, so my third thing is... Look, this is the kind of thing that could take like an entire episode or could take a few minutes. So we're going to stick to a few minutes. But this is a bit of a continuation about, I don't know, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast, Scott, did we? I think we did actually. Yeah, because it was the topic last week. It was about handling rejection. So I was talking about, you know, the the agents and, and getting the feedback on my, my, what would technically be my debut novel. And... Again, at the at the apologies of possibly repeating myself from last week. Where I am in the spot with this novel is it was done October of 2022. I have been querying agents roughly ever since with about a month off in between to figure out what the hell I was doing. And, and I think it's time for at minimum for me to have a dual prong strategy. And, and the dual prong strategy is as follows can continue to submit the novel to agents while I prepare the book for an invader release. The difference between the agent release and the invader release is significant because the, the 
Invader release, if I do it through there, would involve a book plate art type thing. So for those of you familiar with, it's funny, I'm going to, I'm going to basically say Bernie Wrightson books, but for those of you familiar with Cycle of the Werewolf, which is a Stephen King novella that has single pages of art in there, you know, every now and then from Bernie Wrightson or Bernie Wrightson's take on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which is the same thing. It's just Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but this killer art from Bernie Wrightson. That is the treatment that I would plan on giving this novel if it was going through Invader. So what what I talked with um, Mike and Kevin about is that I'm going to go ahead and, and lock up a spot on our late 2024 calendar for this novel. And I'm going to start prepping it with the art and it's going to come out one way or the other. And so basically, I'm just going to keep on having it there as, as a spot on our 2024 calendar. And, uh, and in the meantime, I'm also going to submit it to agents. And then if an agent you know, wants to pitch it to publishers, then I have that conversation with the agent on whether I should pull it from Invader's schedule or not. Because you could argue that they're sort of different, but not really, blah, 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 right? So it, it's, it's funny because I was having a conversation with uh, my wife. You know, we, we go for walks and we, we talk about everything. And, um, and, and her thing was, you get impatient. You know, you get impatient. And... And I said, because her thing is like, you you know, you want to put this book out. You want to get this book out. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't disagree with you because I, I, I understand that there is some level of impatience, but it's important to understand what drives the impatience. What drives the impatience is that I want to share this book. I want to share this book with people. And I hope it's as many, you know, you, the goal is for it to be as many people as possible, but I'm proud of this novel and I want to share it. And, and I think when people get, ra- you know, like I have heard plenty of people that say it's an agent or bust. So if, if agents, if you don't get an agent for your novel, you take that novel and you throw it in a drawer and you keep it there forever. That is not me. That is not me. No, because no. number, yeah, number one. So, so number one, I'm part of a publisher that has a, a, an agency that is pitching our properties to Hollywood. So we have avenues. This isn't just a person who is pitching to agents and has no alternatives, right? Right. Number two, I do shows. I do anywhere from five to 10 shows a year. And this could be a welcome addition to my portfolio of stuff to have at the booth. Number three, and most importantly, like, I want to share it. Like, that's, to me, that's the number one thing any creator wants. So on one hand... It would be a bummer if an agent didn't want it, right? I mean, I talked about last week how it it threw me for a loop a little bit for a few hours at least. But the goal of me writing this book wasn't to get an agent, (laughs) you know? The goal of me writing this book was to get it out in the world and share it. And while an agent would be a cool way to do that, it's not the only way. You know, to quote, uh, to paraphrase the guy from Comic-Con, any any loving is good loving. So if you have the... (laughs) Who said that? Uh, it was one of the authors at the Comic Con panel where it was the it was a I, I, it was when I was doing the quick one offs, and yeah. uh, I mean it's, it's Bachman Turner uh, Overdrive, right? But but it's also if you can get uh, an agent or a publisher to release your book, then by all means do it. 
But if you need to do it yourself or want to do it yourself, then by all means do that. Like any way to get it out is a good thing. So I'm not necessarily preempting that. And because I know what the long timeline of this stuff is, I mean, Invader has a release calendar. You know, for me, I'm getting very prolific. At least I'm getting too prolific for the Invader schedule. And that's okay. It means that I'm making art. And I'd rather have that problem than some other problems, right? I'd rather have too much art and try to figure out what to do with it than too little. You know, the the, the time travel comic I'm talking about, that is probably 2025 right now in terms of like fitting it into the release schedule. And that's okay. I have that long runway and I can figure it out from there, right? So anyway, um, back to this, you know, like by, by me making the decision to sort of dual planet down two different timelines. It's also allowed me to do some interesting thinking about the book because if if you get an agent to do it and a publisher to do it, then guess what? They have a marketing team. If I do it through Invader, then I'm part of the marketing team. And what was very interesting is the second I rethought of my book in a marketing perspective, you know, like there was that other line from the Comic-Con panel from, from novels that I've really grown fond of in these last few weeks, which is your, your goal isn't to publish the book you want. Your goal is to publish the book that you, your agent, your editor, and your publisher think will sell the most copies. And so I actually just called Mike up the other day and was talking to him about this. I'm like, so given that line, this is how I think we should sell my novel if we do it. He's like, I absolutely agree. And then my, my question was, should I rewrite the novel a little bit? To, to accommodate that. And he's like, yes, but in the right context. So without me turning that into a whole other topic, it was interesting that the marketing, the potential marketing of the book allowed me to sort of see something that I hadn't seen before when I was simply pitching it to agents, right? So bottom line, I'm going to continue to do this dual path planning but it was nice to at least get to this place because I, I do think it's time to at least pick a date way out on the calendar and say, hey, this is the date that I'm going to put it out and give myself an end date to try to get an agent to represent it and, and maybe get a wider distribution than just comic shops and, and you know, some some select bookstores. Yeah, um, that's a lot of information. Uh, so, okay, first question. Did you hear back from your mentor. I believe you were going to contact them. I don't know if that you did or not. No, I have not. Oh, okay. I have not. I have not. But but I, I know my mentor well enough to know that he's probably, he is, look, he's the one who gave me the, if you get no agents, throw it in a drawer forever. Oh, so, okay. So uh, I, ex- I expect. Like, like, what does that, okay. Number one, I don't like that on the face of it. That sentence I don't care for at all. It's just mm-hmm. like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, just because agents didn't like it, then it's not right. worth putting out into the world. So it was a waste of time. Right. Exactly. No, I, and, and I agree. And it's funny because that exact topic came up on Rachel and I's walk when we were talking about it. And she's like, well, wait a minute. If if you put the book out yourself, isn't that going to make agents like when you when you finish your second novel, who are you going to pitch? And I was like, well, the same agents. And she's like, wouldn't that make them mad? And I was like, you mean the same agents that passed on it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it might make them mad or they might admire it. They might be like, hell with it. This guy believed in his stuff. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I hate I hate trotting out this reference because everybody trots out 
trots out this reference. But you know who else thought that? J.K. Rowling. <laughs> right? Worked out pretty great. So right. I, I hate to use the billionaire exception as the rule, but it's worth noting that this isn't an indictment of the work. If agents don't want it, it's an, it's not an indictment of the work. It's right. them thinking it doesn't have a place in today's market. Well, right. a lot of things don't have their place in today's market until something proves until it, it has does. its place in today's market. And then all of a sudden, everybody's chasing it, right? Yeah, this this... A lot of the things that were said about the novel, you can apply to comics and go, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So because let's say Invader never found you, right? Or we could use my books, Mm -hmm. for instance. Yeah. I I have pitched it to probably two publishers, really, because I want to maintain the rights. I I don't want to give up my rights to my books. Um, So I really haven't pitched it around. Because those companies did not pick up my book. So what is that? Would would I have that would mean I would have just thrown my book in a drawer and not created any of my books, not exactly. went on, you know, like this West Coast tour with you and and selling yeah. the books at shows. None of that would have happened if you exactly. follow that logic. The logic exactly. doesn't make sense. It's like you, you know, uh, I used to know this guy, I used to be a friend. He's a, he's a very talented person. But he shows no gusto. He shows no enthusiasm. He does not put his work out into the world. And when he does and no one likes it, he attacks the world. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's their fault that he's failing. But mm-hmm. I bring him up to say, a lot of times he doesn't put it out into the world. And it's like, you can be the best writer, the best comedian, the best whatever in your mom's basement. And no one's mm-hmm. going to discover you until you put yep. it out. So the yep. logic of hey, agents didn't like it, so just throw it away or just put mm-hmm. it away until you're famous and then maybe you re-release it or you rewrite it or whatever their logic is. To me, yeah. it's illogical. This is an illogical right. thing. Um, so I don't like that at all. And uh, so don't listen to that bullshit, number one. Yeah, yeah um, no, again, and, and that's it, it's great to hear. And that's how I was thinking anyway. It's like we're not to get too... I don't know if the word is right, but like metaphysical, it's like we make stuff and we want to share it. Like it's, we're, we're expressing ourselves. Right. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to share that expression, that thing that you've put your hard work into. So yeah, it would be weird. It is weird to just say, you know, I throw it really weird advice. It's really weird advice. It's like, I mean, it's, but it's, it's, it's done from the perspective of what agents like and don't like. Right. But but again, I'm going to come back to this. If it it seems very snake eating its tail. Right. Like so agents don't like when you choose your own route and that's going to make you less favorable in the eyes of agents for your next work, except you didn't like the first one. So, I mean, am I like you? You could see the 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 downside is putting yourself in a cycle of always waiting for agents to 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 choose you you know for the gatekeepers to choose you and that's that's a fine way of doing it it worked well in the 1950s 60s 70s and 80s i suppose but like that's not where we are now no you know people do have the ability to put their stuff out and you know there's nothing wrong with gambling on yourself and just putting something out in the world so i i believe i have straddled that line pretty well in choosing a date in the future because the date in the future is also based on production i don't have any art for this as of this moment 
In fact, I just contacted an artist hours ago to see if they'd be interested in doing some of the art for it. So I've got to get it done. And then maybe I have to do a mild revision because that's the thing too. When, when you get an agent, you're still, you know, you think your novel's done, but you have multiple revisions ahead of you. You're going to get the agent's notes and then you're going to make those revisions, whatever you agree with and whatever you don't agree with, right? You don't have to take all the notes and then you're going to get the pub. And then if you find a publisher, you're going to get the publisher's notes and then you're going to choose which notes to put in there, right? So I'm just going to have to act as the agent and publisher and give myself the kind of notes that you think other people might give you if we end up releasing this on Invader, because it deserves another look. It deserves a little bit more scrutiny now that I, you know, again, now that I have this dual timeline where, it, you know, if there's no agent and no publisher, then I just have to prepare accordingly. Right. Yeah. And um, to, I mean, to that logic, I don't think it is wrong to use J.K. Rowling as an example, because that's the ultimate example. That is the perfect example, in my opinion. It's just like, OK, everyone passed on J.K. Rowling, but guess who didn't? J.K. Rowling. Yeah. And like you said, worked out pretty well. So No, no, um, great point. To to your point, it's even it's an even better example than my go-to example, which is the Beatles or REM, bands that got passed on by 30, 40 plus record labels and then finally found someone willing to take a chance. Cuz to your point, J.K. Rowling didn't find anybody to take a chance and then was like, I'll take the chance and things worked out wonderfully. Right. Um Another thing you had said was uh, talking about doing rewriting um, to the market. Mm-hmm. Now, that one I find interesting um, to a degree. Well, I find it very interesting. But it, it's the the pondering questions of, is that chasing trends? Which we've mm-hmm. talked about on the pod, which is something that you and I really don't care for. Now, right. changing your book to suit what's going on right now almost falls in line with that but it also depends how much of it you're changing in order to fit the market now if it's minimal then then i kind of don't see a problem with it myself um but if you're doing a complete overhaul of a large portion of the book like i would look it's your book but but personally i would find fault in that because that kind of buffs the whole chasing the trends which is like Yeah, yeah yeah you're something you've said about it is this one's the horror one right so yes. you're like horror's not in guess yeah. what it's a suspense sci-fi uh carnival ride book which is super in right now right and right. so that's what the book is gonna be <laughs> i've been drinking a little bit so no no um, no. It, it, it's fair it's fair um i i feel like i let so let's go a little deeper into what i'm trying to say because i i 100 agree with you and that 100 does not apply here Okay, Um, so what what I am saying and and it's fair for you to, to say what you're saying based on the limited information I gave you is that the specific example is that this novel has an element to it that is part of a key third act turning point. The the third act turning point and therefore the real story behind this book is something that I keep very close to the vest throughout the book. But to market the book, it would make perfect sense to make that third act turn the thing that you try to sell the book with, right? Like you say, this is a blah, blah, blah. Except for the first two acts, 
three quarters of the book, you're not quite clear on whether this is that blah, 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 on whether this is that, you know, chimpanzee sci-fi suspense that you've been so craving, right? So if I say it's a chimpanzee sci-fi suspense, but you don't see the chimpanzees and you don't see the sci-fi suspense. But are they also in a carnival? I mean, of course they are. That's what's okay. hot right now, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but if for the first two acts, there's no chimpanzees, there's no carnival, and there's no suspense, it would be silly of me to bill it like that. So to, to do a, a better service to it, what I'm saying is we actually sell it as a, quote, chimpanzee suspense sci-fi carnival <laughs> book, right? Knowing full well that that's what's in act three. What that so that's what I mean when I say mm. that's why the sell thing is logical. When I said to Mike, like, we obviously sell it like this thing, and he's like, Of course we do. And I'm even hinting at it right now. But I mean, I'm hinting at it currently to agents and, and it would be part of it. But what I'm saying is we amp up that element. Again, code name, chimpanzee sci-fi suspense carnival, right? And 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 then the question is if if the first two acts don't hint at the chimpanzees, the carnival, the sci-fi, the suspense enough, do I pick these very specific points in the story to hint at that a little bit more? Because it's not quite there. It's there, but it's not. It could be ramped up a little bit. And so, um, so for what it's worth, what Mike and I were talking about is that I will do a very delicate, and I mean delicate, edit of the book. And I'm going to take the Seth Graham Smith, um, a.k.a. Uh, what's it called? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies method. And uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do every single edit. And it's not going to be many. We're going to talk about no more than like, let's say, 20 sentences in red ink. And then I'm going to send Mike that script and I'm going to let him look at just the red ink. And then he's going to be able to go. Yes, that's a great way of saying it without being too overt about it so that we bring in this chimpanzee sci-fi suspense element that we are hyping the book for because that's it's the kind of thing where if people are reading for it, they're going to get even more excited for it because of that's the way horror is. Mm. Does that, does that make it more clear? That hundred percent makes sense. It's way more okay. clear. And, uh, I'm on board for all of that. That sounds that sounds very cool. Yeah, no, if mm-hmm. it's an element that's already in your story, then yeah, it's not a big deal if you're just ramping it up a little bit. Yeah, that's totally that's all good. Yeah, if I'm not I'm not rewriting this to for whatever what's hip on the TikTok, right? right. Like that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, Mike gave me a note once. Um, it was this more of this. And it was extreme violence that I had mm-hmm. on one of the pages. And I was just like, right on. He really digs the violence. And, and like, yeah. I, I do too. It just really hasn't fit into uh, the story thus far. But mm-hmm. it's coming, you know? Yeah. So uh, it was like, yeah, sometimes you can get a note that'll go like, yeah, that was in there. But turn this up more. And, and Absolutely. Like, that's totally cool. Absolutely. Um, also, I had a question about the Invader release. So you you said um, the time travel story wouldn't be released until 2025. Now, does that mean like if you finished, like let's say your artist, uh, Carlo Romero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, great grandson, great, great, great grandson of Cesar Romero who played the Joker on Batman. <laughs> 86. I hope he lives in Spain because Carlo does. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, of course he does. Well, he's yeah. dead, I believe. But he I believe did. I, no, believe I mean, he, I, yeah, know, he did I, I, I know. I know we're not speaking of him in the present tense. R.I.P. Him him, and Pee Wee. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, Don't you fucking dare. Won't do it. 
Um, okay, so so if if Carlo finishes the story in like a month, mm-hmm. that book doesn't see light of day until twenty twenty five. So, I mean, I'm I'm inclined to say yes, Scott, and the reason is Eesh. because it, it, here's why. I currently have, you know, if this novel. If this novel stays in the 2024 release calendar, I'm taking up three of Invader's spots in 2024. Animals number two, three protectors number two, and this novel. And we are talking to a ton of creators about getting some really cool books on there. So I want to make sure that, that you know, there's a, there's a nice balance to the schedule. I mean, it's logical for three protectors number two and animals number two to be part of that schedule because you know they were both well well received books totally. they're in process and you know three protectors number two will end up coming out you know a year maybe two years apart from volume one to volume two and animals number two will end up being something like a year apart right so it's are just you guys going to try to bump that up since that's been getting a lot of good reviews we'll see we'll see i mean you know we're, we're sort of meandering all over the place I guess I'll mention this reason, and then you can tell me if we should cut it. Ah, true. Yeah, that that is true. Uh, I think we I think we should keep that. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. can. Okay. Do we want to just keep it how we said it, or do we want to say it like it's the first time we're saying it? We should probably say it because it's the first time we're saying it, because that was like awkward and weird. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, no, it was. I mean, it let's was sexy. rewind. Yeah, it was sexy. Yeah, I mean, okay. what we do is always sexy. What like, we do, what we do is totally look, sexy. That's not so, in question. No, it's not. <laughs> no one ever questioned that ever. Here, not once. Here I am. Here I am sitting here questioning our sexiness, bringing that into the room when it's like the most preposterous thing to bring into the room. Like, why would anyone question that? Right. So, so what I what I probably did there was I I bleeped out a little something. Because we're going to talk about it again just in a limited context, which is one of the things about releasing your books um, on the on the indie publisher side, on the creator-owned publisher side, is that you really have to compete with the big chains and, and, and the big boys and with the big holidays. And in doing that, it's worth noting that, you know, it's sort of an industry-recognized thing. I know it was in the record industry that... November through February are treacherous, right? Those are treacherous waters that you're sailing in. So it's just something to keep in mind, right? Something to... And and for our fan base, why is that? Well, be, because, because the big box retailers own the holidays, right? I mean, uh, the holidays are a time of... I mean, we all we all live it. You know, I think if, if you stopped audio right now, you could probably peel off these reasons as well as we could because you're going to visit family, the family holidays are happening. One of those family holidays happens to be Christmas, which invokes a lot of spending. And that spending happens through the big retailers. And then there is a hangover period where people are recovering from the spending that they did through said retailers. So that makes November to February some treacherous waters, right? I mean, yeah. I've I've had Kickstarters in February and they've done fine, you know, um, but it, it's, it's worth mentioning that that's something that you may want to keep in consideration for your stuff. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I learned uh, with my Kickstarters. I always planned for March. For me, the prime time to launch my Kickstarters is the month of March because of those very reasons. Um, mm-hmm. December, people are spending presents. November, potentially traveling to go see family, so more money there, right? And yeah. uh, January, hangover from Christmas, recovering. Mm-hmm. 
uh, February potentially still recovering. Then you have, yeah. you know, like whatever Valentine's Day or whatever. Not mm-hmm. that's not a huge deal, but whatever February doesn't seem as good. I think people are still recovering. The and most March, important date in February, although okay, it sucked the last ten years, but it used to be the slam dunk contest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's 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 what February is about. It's about Aaron the Super Gordon Bowl was robbed, and about the what's that? Aaron Gordon was robbed. Aaron Gordon was robbed so hard that it made Andre Iguodala's 2006 rob job look like like chump change. Because <laughs> Iggy was robbed in 06, too. Go ahead. Go check the tape. Yep. You'll see. You'll see. But Aaron Gordon was robbed, too. Yeah. So hard. So he was the neat, mascot. But yeah. The second the, year, the he had a was mascot so robbed in, what was that, spinning on a, uh, a hoverboard, <laughs> and he snatched it out of his hand of and did a tornado Stop. mailman dunk opposite Stop. direction it was fucking Stop. crazy it was anyway. insane i i called a whatever year that was what'd you say 2016 is that right is it 20 i don't know I, all i, I know is remember. that i called i called a very young eden eden was was drawing at the table just doing like schoolwork or doing what kids do and I, and somehow the two of us were the only two people in the house and i'm just sitting there mesmerized by the dunk contest and eden's like why haven't you talked in a while and i was like <laughs> I think you need to come in here and watch this, these dunks. And she comes in and we were just both blown away by the elevation Mm -hmm. that Zach Levine and that Aaron Gordon put into that contest. I mean, I never thought there'd be a better dunk contest than 88. I think it was right. The year Neek got robbed, but wow, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine is, is probably the best back and forth. It's easily the best back and forth dunk contest of all time. Yes. Vince Carter's 2000 stands as the best performance uh, bordering on artistic absurdness of all time. But, uh, but man, that, that dunk contest is amazing. Sorry guys. We suckered you yeah. into basketball. All now that we're back to, to say, the other stuff. Yeah. All that to say, I launch in March because yeah. the people are over the, the hangover. Yeah. And totally. not on, on top of that tax return time, baby. People are yeah. getting their tax returns. People are getting money. So Absolutely. their their pocketbooks are open. They're ready to spend. So they're going to, you know, back some books. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense as to why your invader schedule is a little little light uh, on those months. It makes makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't know uh, but, if you but guys... It's worth noting, by the way. It's worth noting that we ended up going so long here that we're going to figure out a main topic from there. And now, not only has the infamous main topic... like. The infamous main topic that's gone five, now six episodes is easily going to go seven because we went so long that the topic that replaced the placeholder topic is just going to go next week. So mm-hmm. I don't even know what half of that means, but it's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you guys haven't figured it out, this week's topic is basically uh publishing what we just said yeah those things <laughs> we'll we're going to later. find yeah. a cool title for this so it <laughs> totally. might be something to do with scheduling publishing <laughs> logistics can I, it, can I make it chimpanzee science fiction at the carnival absolutely it's <laughs> the only thing so that makes great. sense i think let's I see think if you we get more it. listeners i think yeah. we should do chimpanzee we, science fiction at the we carnival. have a nice listenership now so it's like fuck it they're not going anywhere if they see we got weird nothing ass title. to lose we got we nothing totally to lose nothing. they're gonna be like yeah. wait what the fuck is this episode and then <laughs> so they're gonna great. listen to it yeah i can't down wait for it. i can't i cannot wait i'm writing this down right now Go all ahead. right so hey a couple of weeks um a couple of weeks ago we got an email in <laughs> from <laughs> Keith is just really enjoying this week's title. I am. Uh, we got an email from Dan Bova, 
uh, Dan Bova, famous for being on the podcast uh, on the email side of it for a couple of times, sent in his book as well. Thanks again, Dan. Um, He sends another email in. Hey, fellas, your show always gets me pumped to work on my non-day job writing and always makes me thirsty. So on behalf of myself and the beer industry, thank you. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you, the beer industry. Again, welcome. Yeah, I'm single handedly (laughs) keeping so many breweries in San Diego. alive. Here are my questions. Building off your copyright episode, I am curious about Scott and other artists selling their own drawings of copyrighted DC and Marvel characters. Is there a little squirrely on the legal side of things? Is that a little squirrely on the legal side of things? Not trying to be a narc, just curious. Um, I'll read them both first and then then I'll go into it. Uh, Number two, for writers who are thinking about taking the big leap of hiring an artist, beside obviously being on the same page of the look and feel of the art, can you give us questions we should ask, red flags, potential landmines we should be aware of before hiring someone? Have zero experience with that. Don't know what I don't know what I don't know, so would be grateful for any kind of guidance you can share. Thanks, Dan Boba. Um so we'll go to we'll go to one. Um Prince and stuff like that at comic shows, it is a little squirrely. It is a, a little under the table um, don't make a big deal of it. Don't do too much with it. Make a very limited print run, and we're not going to say shit. So that's basically how it goes for conventions. Um, the biggest hoopla that occurred with artists selling copyright, copywritten characters, uh, trademark characters from the big two, from whoever, the only time that has been an issue was the creator of Ghost Rider. Um, he actually was suing Marvel because he was not getting... I don't know that he was getting any kind of uh, uh, royalties or anything like that off of Ghost Rider. So he was trying to sue for some creator ownership or or something like a participation in, uh, you know, the profits of that character. You know, famously, Rob Liefeld gets a lot of dough from Deadpool and Cable. Mm -hmm. And because he signed a contract in which, hey, I'll give you these characters you give me, I don't know, 1% of, of everything, right? Which includes mm-hmm. every single T-shirt, um, toy, video game, etc. Um, so I don't know that that creator signed that same type of legal document. So he was not getting any kind of that participation. Um, and when that happened, he tried to sue them. And Marvel countered with, hey, we have photos of your booth at conventions from years showing that you're selling prints of our characters. You owe us money. Mm. And so you go, ain't that about a bitch? You know, because it it sucks because he created Ghost Rider for you. And Mm. he was trying to make ends meet by selling these prints and and whatever. And so uh, the mouse decided, hey, we're going to sue you instead, and you're going to owe us money. And and so that Mm. was pretty shitty. And so for about half of a year, there was an issue with artists selling prints of uh, legal legally trademark characters um mm-hmm. that has gone away since then mm-hmm. there was a couple of cease and desist that were handed out at conventions to some artists um from the mouse and so but after about six months they knocked it off everyone knocked it off i don't know what happened with the lawsuit you guys could look it up to see what happened there but um after that it was like okay Everyone stay in line. Don't try to sue us, and we'll let you keep doing your little prints. So uh, there is your squirrely nature of artists selling prints of characters that they don't know 
at conventions. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know you read both questions, but um, the second one was more toward the writer side, and it was what like red flags to look for in artists. Yes, when hiring an artist, um, what kind of red flags do I look for? Uh, can you give us questions we should ask, potential landmines we should be aware of when hiring someone? So I, I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. That's a great question. But I, I think... I, I think that as long as you are pre-selecting the right place to look for artists, you don't have to worry about any of these questions. Um, there is one, and you're the one that actually told me via... Shit, someone from Invader, uh, Mike's brother, I believe, was mm -hmm. don't show me your best, sh don't show me your best pages, show me all your pages. Oh yeah, Lance, that's yes. the Lance, Lance. Pilgrim rule. There we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, Lance. Pilgrim. So I mean, I that's a that's a great point. I think okay, so that that is dependent on you. Okay, let let's talk about how you shouldn't get artists, right? So without going into it, I get. <laughs> I definitely get this weird spam with an absolute, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A DNA to it where I can tell that this person doesn't even draw the stuff that they are selling. And they're like, can I show you my samples? And it's like, you are completely a fake account. You're trying to take money from me. You know, like that kind of stuff, right? So as long as you have a decent radar for scam artists, I think you're going to be okay here. Um, so, so... I think a better way of rephrasing the, the the question is, what are some good places to look for artists? And uh, Instagram is a great place to look for artists. Just search for comic artist, hashtag comic artist, hashtag indie artist, hashtag freelance artist, hashtag freelance comic artist, and see what you come up with. And then it's just going to be you know, to Scott's point and to, to the Lance rule, like take a look at all their work and take a look at what their mediocre work looks like because that's important. Um, and then just be on the lookout for anything that feels fishy. You know, you probably have some pretty good radar there and, and just use that radar. Um, I would say that uh, the thing that I would recommend to a lot of people, the writers especially, um, well, writers that are looking for artists, is there's a great, there's a couple great groups on Facebook out there, and I think they're called something like Connecting Writers and Artists. And that one, I have found two artists and counting um, that are working on my stuff. And what's great is they will just post their samples and say, here's my samples, I'm looking for work, here's the rate you should expect, contact me. And then you go from there and then you see what happens. Um, again, there's always going to be, you know, I think, Dan, the, the biggest thing that I'd just be on the lookout for is someone being a fraud. As long as you can take a look at all the art that they've posted and you have a good feel for what they would do in, you know, on an average page, then you're going to be in really good shape and you can, you know, you can select an artist, I think, accordingly. Yeah, uh, I think Keith's first place to look, Instagram, is a really good one because, you, number one, more than likely it is their page of art. They're not scam artists. Like, you can watch the dates at which they post. Their style will more than likely be consistent throughout that page. You'll be able to examine everything. Um, if it is someone on one of those Facebook groups, which is another great place to get it, um, make sure – this is a tip for, for writers out there. And because I have done – I have done the same thing, but on the the colorist side, and I've had writer friends also looking for artists, and this is something I tell them. 
Um, I've seen a couple of posts like this, a lot of posts like this. Uh, a writer will post on one of those groups, looking for artist, paid gig, I can afford to pay this much per page. I suggest, and this is me, this is me nickel and diming to make my dreams come true at the cheapest way possible, but with mm-hmm. great with great quality. Look for artists and see what their page rate is. Like that's uh, that's just advice I give you. Don't offer a number up front. Ask them what their page rate is because let's let's pick a number. Let's say you can afford $125 a page. That's the mm-hmm. number you can afford. You might find an artist who does it for $75 a page and they're freaking awesome. Yeah, my page rate is 75 bucks a page. It's all digital, blah, 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 blah. You just found a great deal. You just saved yourself $50 a page. If you tell the artist up front, I can afford to pay you $125 a page, guess guess what they're expecting? Yeah. Not that $75 that they normally take. They're expecting $125 a page. So... Mm-hmm. It's just a small, small little tactic. It's a business tactic. I'm an artist. So from an artist's point of view, yeah, obviously we would prefer more money. Everyone does. But mm-hmm. you can see what they're willing to accept. You know, like that's just how the game is played. It's just like, okay, yep. well, I want to make this as the writer. You're fronting a lot of the artistic cost. You're more than likely paying for the artist and the colorist out of your own pocket. Those are two of the most expensive parts of making a comic book. So mm-hmm. um, look on those groups, um, see if there's someone that does it for a very reasonable rate. More than likely, they're going to be out of the country. That's just kind of how that works out. Um, you can get a cheap, cheaper page rate if you outsource the art. Um, I outsource my colorist, so I know this for a fact, and I outsource my flatter. So um, try that out. And, uh, yeah, I think you should be good to go. And, and yeah, one of the most important details is make sure you are looking at all of their work. Like Keith said, you don't want to just see a bunch of their splash pages. You want to see their best pages. You want to see their worst pages. You want to see all of it because then you can get a good gauge at what your product could potentially look like at the best and at the worst. It's like, wow, they really got lazy on this page, you know, Mm -hmm. or, Hey, they took my project on and they had they already had another project they're working on. So mine was kind of the secondary back burner project where he's fitting me in where he can. So the work's not as good quality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So those are just things that you potentially might have to deal with. Um, and just to look out for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great stuff. Right on, man. Um, well, Hey, we're running a little bit long, so we're going to, do you have bullshit? I don't think I I have it, but I I have it, but they are actions. (laughs) Let's just say I bought some comics, but the next time we record those comics will be here and I can just tell the story then. Right on. Well, Hey, I finished secret secret wars. That was fun. That was a fun mini series. Um, was it 2016 that that came out? 15, 16, something like 2015, that. 2015, yeah. 16. So, hey, I waited a extra seven, eight years to read it, and it aged just fine. Nice. Uh, it must have been in a bourbon barrel. Yeah. There clearly. we go. Clearly. All right, man. Uh, this high noon, I actually started drinking a second one, so I started off with a grapefruit. I went to cranberry. I prefer the grapefruit. Um, I think it's fantastic as far as seltzers go. I give... I give high noons. I give them eight. I give them All eight. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I think it's. I think it's just as good as a white claw. Might be a little bit better. 
Um, mm-hmm. I believe the alcohol content, this is a four, oh, no, it's only a 4.5. So, shit, I need to check on the White Claw. I don't know if it's the same or if it's higher. Um, but this is usually with, it's vodka with real fruit juice. So I figured the vodka would give it a higher alcohol content. Um, mm-hmm. But I really enjoy them. And okay. um, you can too at a very reasonable price. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Heady Topper. It is a, again, it's an ale, but I think it's more of a IPA. Yeah, American double IPA. Um, 7.5. I give it a 7.5. Mm, but but I think a lot of, yeah, I mean, it's solid. I think a lot of that ties to personal preference, too. I mean, it is hoppy. And so if you like hoppy beers, you should probably ramp this up a little bit. Um, I'm not as huge of a fan of super hoppy stuff, but I mean, it hits 8% at 16 ounces can definitely, um, you know, get your, get your brain in fun places. And, uh, and yeah, it's super good. I mean, I, I bought two cause that was my limit and I am looking forward to the second one at some point. So yeah, man, good, good stuff. Um, not totally in my wheelhouse, but I understand why the high rating on untapped is warranted and 7.5 is a good number. Hell yeah, man. Um, and you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. I almost didn't finish spelling that because I had two high news. Yeah, yeah um, you did. So I'm at 9%. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Scott Lost at Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can also find my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanders Milsonda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans on a Faraway Planet a Thousand Years into the Future, all at accidentalaliens.com. Rock on. You can find me at uh, Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. That is the one social media I use. Pictures of all kinds of stuff, the books I do, quotes, stuff about making comics, the occasional picture of me even, and uh, and yeah, all kinds of stuff in the story. So follow me there and, uh, and you'll see all kinds of cool stuff. If you're interested in my stories and my books, you can go to KeithRFoster.com. That has um, some pages about the books I do, and it also has a web, uh, an, a store where you can um, order Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft, Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space, and Animals, which is animals get infected by a virus, and now they want to murder people. Yeah, we do not have a Patreon or anything like that, so... Uh, if you guys enjoy this podcast, make sure you guys are picking up our books. We truly appreciate that. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns about the episode or future episodes that you want to hear things on, uh, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. We will answer those questions live and on the air, um, even though this is pre-recorded. But hey, we are alive. So technically, we're live. Yeah. We're alive. We're live when, as we're recording. Yeah, obviously. It's all alive, baby. Yeah, Just as exactly. sexy as we are alive, those two things <laughs> exactly. concurrently exactly. are happening. You know the deal. You know the deal. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, let's be quick. We are the five stars in this podcast experience. You know this. Uh, so do that. Do Make that rating happen if you haven't already. We can be rated on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. On Apple Podcasts, you can give us some words as well. It helps. We love reading the, the great comments, the great feedback from people. So, yeah, throw your boys five stars when you can. That's it. We did it. World's best cup of coffee. We did it. World's best cheesesteak. Fucking bastards. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah, yeah.